Welcome to Tower Talks with Inside Towers, the wireless infrastructure industries podcast. And now for your weekly recap, a timely review of this week's top headlines and takeaways. Here's your host. Welcome to Inside Towers Week in Review. I'm Leslie Stimson, Inside Towers Washington Bureau Chief. With me are John Celentano, our business editor, Sharp Smith, our technology editor, and Jim Fryer, our managing editor. This episode is sponsored by Inside Towers Intelligence, a quarterly market report that dives deep into the wireless infrastructure ecosystem. It looks at market trends, capital expenditures, relevant M&A transactions, and more. Intelligence is designed for managers, marketers, and investors. The 2022 Volume 4 issue is available now. An annual subscription also includes an exclusive briefing and online support. In fact, we had a briefing recently on Tuesday the 17th of this month. For more information or to subscribe, visit InsideTowers.com slash intelligence. So I think, John, you're going to start us off with, uh, you're going to talk about Verizon and AT&T, I think. Yes, Leslie, we're in the throes of the uh, uh, fourth quarter earnings re, um, reports. And um, you know, all eyes were on our biggest players in the business, uh, AT&T and Verizon. And uh, they, they both reported this past week. And uh, we we did a little write up on both of the um, the results that they conveyed. Um, actually, and it shouldn't really be a surprise because because of their size, but <clears throat> there were some uh, ups and downs through uh, on a quarter to quarter basis through the year. But <clears throat> um, both companies ended um, ended twenty twenty two on a high note. Um, you know, Verizon actually <clears throat> added. Um, uh, 2.2 million uh, postpaid and prepaid wireless net ads for the year, 1.2 million of those in the fourth quarter alone, and bringing their total retail subscriber base to 143.3 million. Uh, they're, they lead the U.S. market in uh, retail subscribers. And I say retail as post, postpaid and prepaid. It doesn't count uh, reseller or any other connected devices. But, um, you know, their, their wireless service revenues grew 9% and uh, accounted for a little over half of the total company revenues. They, uh, they progressed nicely with their C-band um, mid-band spectrum build-out. Um, the company claims that uh, that build-out has, uh, has been the most aggressive deployment uh, plan in its history. And really since uh, 2021, it's uh, on track to cover um, 200 million pops uh, in, the, in the first quarter of uh, 23. It's actually ahead of schedule to reach its 250 million pop target by year end 24. It's had to follow, as we've covered, it's had to follow a spectrum clearing by um, um, broadcast uh, broadcasters that use satellite services for um, uh, video and, and audio services. So that band has been cleared out, and then Verizon has moved right in with uh, with its um, uh, cell site deployment using that spectrum. Uh, the early C-band deployments, you know, they kept, uh, they were limited to 60 or 100 megahertz in some of the early clearance markets. But once it's uh, fully accessible, um, uh, with which we expect the, the final deadline for clearing by late 2023, then, then they have an average of about 161 megahertz and up to 200 megahertz in certain markets to make available. So a really high uh, speed capability on C-band uh, uh, in all its markets. 
Uh, it will move to uh, standalone core, <clears throat> 5G standalone core in 2023, and that will <clears throat> excuse me, enhance its ability to deliver uh, dedicated services and uh, other enhancements like network slicing and voice over 5G. Uh, fixed wireless access was a bright spot. They uh, had over a million fixed wireless access net ads <clears throat> in the fourth quarter to reach 1.4 million uh, at the end of the year. Uh, the majority of these fixed wireless deployments are, are using C-band uh, for macro cells. Uh, it, it, the company expects take rates to continue and is actually projecting uh, uh, four to five million uh, fixed wireless subs by 2025. Uh, its Fios uh, fiber to the home uh, service uh, grew modestly, uh, connecting 216,000 homes in the fourth quarter, bringing their total homes and businesses served to 7.1 million at year end. It's uh, maintained a pretty steady fiber to the home build out, uh, expanding the FIOS footprint to over uh, 550,000 locations in 2022, bringing its uh, total homes passed to more than 17 million uh, across its operating territory. Um, so, you know, the, the company is, uh, is proving it's uh, sticking to its, um, its uh, priorities and its strategy and um, and uh, is indicating a pretty positive outlook going into 2023. It offered guidance of uh, wireless service revenues to increase about 3.5% at the midpoint, and it expects aggregate uh, 2023 capital expenditures um, to decline somewhat from the 23.1 billion in 2022 to about 18.75, and that includes 1.75 billion left for C-band build-out uh, and then by 2024, it expects its business as usual capex to level out at 17 billion. So we see a, a bit of a coming down from the peak, the uh, 2021, 2022 build outs of where C-band uh, accounted for an incremental $10 billion in capex. And that was, it'll, will, it'll start to settle down in the, in the next couple of years to a, a more um, a historical level of uh, network investment. So that's Verizon. AT&T uh, is also uh, a little bit more um, conservative in its approach, but still showing growth nonetheless. You know, it's two strategic investments are uh, building out its 5G network and expanding uh, then its, uh, its fiber footprint. <clears throat> And in 2022, it made progress on, on both those counts. Um, it grew its uh, retail wireless base to 104 million postpaid and prepaid subscribers. That's a 3% increase year over year. Um, you know, when you count all the other connections it has on this network, uh, AT&T leads with about 217 million connections uh, at year end. But it did, it did say it's ahead of its uh, schedule on C-band deployments, uh, reaching now about 150 million uh, 5G pops. That's more than double the initial 2022 year-end target that it had. And it says where, where five mid-band 5G is deployed, about 25% of the traffic is already using that spectrum. And it expects to cover more than 200 million people um, by the end of 2023. Uh, in fiber, it had over a million two net ads, uh, bringing its total fiber connections to 7.2 million. Uh, exceeding for the first time its copper-based DSL subscribers, uh, it's it um, it it really sees uh, deployment of fiber, uh, which is a major initiative for it in, in really three categories. 
the one is to, to it, it's what it refers to as its in footprint build, meaning within the, its operating territories where it can take advantage of existing infrastructure. Um, it plans to build its fiber network um, uh, within its uh, its uh, operating footprint to 30 million uh, homes passed or um, by 2025, and of that, it hopes to achieve about a 40% penetration. So um, uh, th th those are those are revenue revenue generating connections. Um, it finished uh, 2022 with about 24 million uh, fiber locations passed. Um, and of, of which it claims about 22 million are what it calls sellable, or meaning it can connect to those customers. Uh, there's about a 5% margin where you can, they can't connect all the premises past either because the, the building's not ready or it's under construction or it's vacant. So um, it, it does uh, plan to uh, reach a, a 30 million or more uh, locations passed by the end of 2025. And from where it is today, it's just a run rate of about two to two and a half million locations passed every year to meet that 2025 target. Although quarter to quarter, they suggest, in, you know, the numbers are vary. It's not going to be linear. Uh, the second um, uh, bucket that it can address is um, outside of its territory and can exceed the 30 million homes passed. It has uh, announced a, a partnership with BlackRock, a BlackRock Inc infrastructure fund uh, the partnership's called gigapower and, and we reported on that uh, gigapower uh, is initially uh, looking at deploying about a million and a half out of territory locations um, but uh, that that number could increase substantially especially uh, where um, it can take advantage of available government funding to reach um, those harder out of the way places where it's um, not uh, economic to deploy fiber on its own. But, um, you know, it sees this joint venture as a, a way to share the risk and um, and to reach uh, customers that are outside of its territory. And certainly it's going after, uh, you know, in the third bucket, it's going after stimulus money and uh, bead money to help pay for some of these um, these uh, more um, uh, smaller market uh, deployments where uh, on its own, it can. It's hard to justify. So, you know, the outlook the company provided for 2023 is that it expects to increase wireless service revenues by four uh, percent, uh, broadband revenues over five percent, uh, and adjusted EBITDA at about a three percent growth. Um, uh, it plans to um, to uh, spend in, in the aggregate about uh, 24. Uh, 0.3 billion, including a nine, 9.19.6 billion from continuing operations, and and AT&T, unlike other other operators, uses vendor financing uh, to help pay for its network bills. In this case, uh, they expect to use uh, close to five billion dollars in vendor financing to um, to to help with that construction. Um, so there you have it. Uh, couple of big guys um, doing fairly well and uh, projecting a positive outlook for the year. Thank you, John. It's interesting when you're talking about the satellite companies vacating the lower portion of the C-band. That's a really big undertaking um, in, because before the FCC auctioned uh, the portion of the C-band, the satellite companies, their license allowed them full use of the entire band. Full mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And then the FCC changed their licenses and said, well, no, now you only get these frequencies up the upper end. Mm 
And what that entails, so they have to change frequencies that they're broadcasting the events on. And at the broadcast end, in some cases, they have to repoint their dishes. Yeah. And a lot of those have not been done since they were installed, like in yeah. the 70s. So that's it's a big, big undertaking to clear um, those frequencies. Yeah, and the C-band license winners put out a lot of money to help facilitate that that move. You know, that we satellite operators are not expected to do it at their cost. Um, and uh, you know, we're talking billions here to, yeah. to make that move. And and the timing is important as well. They've been, it seems like they've they moved fairly quickly relatively speaking to clear that spectrum i think uh, it allowed both at&t and verizon to to move faster with their c-band deployment as a result of that and that's a good point um yeah so this week um utilities are banding together and lobbying the fcc to keep the whole replacement compensation scheme the same um, 37 of them, 37 owners banded together. They said otherwise, if it's if it's changed, uh, they won't be able to continue satisfying what they call the telecom attachers' need for expansion. Um, the issue is part of a broader update the agency is considering as it removes barriers to broadband infrastructure investment. This group is called the Coalition of Concerned Utilities. Um, its members serve more than 30 million households. And it said, you know, they've been for free voluntarily replacing what they call perfectly good utility poles with taller poles, despite having no legal obligation to do so. Um, and they called it uh, a time-consuming, onerous, labor-intensive process. And they are... Um, you know, the coalition explained that the attacher proposals, meeting the telecoms, right, want to modify the long-standing, carefully balanced, and what they call successful cost replacement mechanism. This would cause many utilities to reconsider whether dropping everything to perform voluntary and premature pull replacements is worth the time and the expense. So the other side, uh, the telecoms, uh, the internet and telecom network providers have pushed the FCC to reform the agency's poll attachment rules, saying the current cost allocation regime favors the utility poll owners. The FCC has an open proceeding looking into whether poll replacement costs should be shared by the poll owner and the attachers. Encompass, which is an association for internet and telecom network providers, supports a cost allocation formula proposed by Crown Castle, which it says, and I'm quoting, demonstrates that a poll replacement carries inherent benefits to poll owners in the form of incremental betterment and cost savings, while still capturing an owner's need to recover a portion of the poll to be replaced and a share of the incremental cost if a poll is upgraded. So that's a mouthful. Um, I have another Crown Castle story. It's kind of a short one. Remember uh, recently uh, the FCC upgraded the labels they're called for the broadband internet to make it easier for consumers to compare pricing. Um, they're, they've sort of likened them to nutrition labels. So people have started calling them the broadband nutrition labels. 
Crown Castle asked the FCC to clarify that the new labels uh, that contain metrics about internet service apply only to mass market retail and not to the services provided to schools, libraries, and healthcare under the FCC universal service programs. Because uh, Crown Castle doesn't think that that is clear. So it's asking them to clarify that. And Sharp, I think you're going to talk to us about uh, a private network service. Is that right? Well, Jim wants me to talk about uh, lasers. So. Uh, oh, will, that's right. We changed topics. I forgot. We will uh, we'll take you back to the future. <laughs> and. Uh, uh, I think everyone uh, everyone knows that uh, uh, having steel in the air that goes up uh, 200 feet or or more is a uh, uh, is a lightning rod in the making, and uh, lightning rods have been the uh, the way to to protect uh, cell towers from uh, from a lightning strike, and uh, that uh, basically that. Uh, that solution has been in place, uh, I think, ever since uh, uh, Ben Franklin. And uh, so, uh, but more recently, a uh, French uh, research scientist, Ariel Huard, uh, has uh, been testing, taking lasers and shooting them at the uh, clouds and uh, hoping that the uh, uh, the lightning will grab onto the laser beam and and uh, be uh, taken away from the uh, uh, from the from the tower. I'm not exactly sure where it takes it because I would be interested in what happens to that laser after it's had a lightning bolt uh, follow the laser down to the earth. Uh, but um, uh, I guess that wouldn't be my worry, uh, but uh, lightning does cause thousands of fatalities and billions of dollars of damage uh, annually, and um, so it uh, it makes sense to uh, uh, to work on uh, perhaps a uh, a refresh of uh, of uh, the technology. Um, Maria uh, Temming in Science News. Uh, referred to it as this. She called it a high-tech hammer of Thor, a powerful laser that can grab hold of a lightning bolt and reroute its path through the sky. So I think it's early days, as we like to say, but uh, perhaps uh, someday every, uh, every tower crew will be uh, installing a laser uh, at uh, at a tower to uh, to protect it from uh, from lightning, a little bit uh, a little bit maybe closer to the future than uh, than a than a, a laser um, lightning rod is uh, the uh, the next phase of six uh, G development, and four uh, G is uh, still being deployed, and um, there still are five uh, G standalone. Uh, networks that are uh, uh, in the works. It's uh, it's hard to think about 6G, but uh, but um, the uh, European Commission is uh, is forging ahead and is uh, creating a consortium of uh, companies that are working on 
on the concepts and the realities that will end up being 6G. So uh, it's on its uh, second, second phase known as HEXA X2, HEXA X1 uh, looked at uh, uh, basically sort of the concepts of, uh, of, of 6G and uh, what, what, uh, what they want to accomplish. And the second phase, they'll be looking more into uh, uh, creating the uh, technological components and, and uh, creating a, an end-to-end -end solution. So uh, it's, it's a big deal. It's, it's gonna have, uh, um, it's gonna be run by, by uh, Nokia, which was the uh, leader of Hexa X1. And uh, Ericsson will be the technical manager and also involved will be Orange, uh, Telecom Italia, a um, couple of uh, universities, uh, TU Dresden and uh, the University of Ulu, O-U-L-U. I think that's in Finland. So to put this in a, a time frame for you, um, it seems like a long time off. However, um, the uh, right now they're in the pre-standard pre stage and uh, the standards will be uh, created in 2025. And uh, that's two years from now. And, uh, and then uh, the uh, 3GP, 3GPP will, will release uh, their plan to, to, uh, to release, I don't know how you say this, 3GP, 3GPP release 21 uh, is scheduled for 2028. And uh, that, that will be uh, followed by commercial deployments around 2030. So there are a lot of uh, deadlines between um, 2020 or 2023 and 2030 when uh, 6G is supposed to, uh, uh, to be a real thing. So, uh, so yeah, it's, um, it's, 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 uh, it's happening. And uh, so it'll be interesting to, uh, to, to watch it uh, unfold. Well, that's a wrap. Thank you for listening to Inside Towers Week in Review. And for a complete rundown of all the week's stories, check out our Saturday edition. Until then, we'll see you in a week. Thank you for listening to Tower Talks. To subscribe to our podcast, our daily newsletter, or use our other industry resources, please visit InsideTowers.com. Until next time, you've been listening to Tower Talks from Inside Towers, the wireless infrastructure industries podcast.